Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. window as he normally would and as you now see the sun just brightly shining into your previously dark room your eyes start to squint and you put your hand over your eyes to kind of block the bright rays of the of the light coming into your room from from further getting in your eyes and you kind of back up right you back up and as you do so it's kind of difficult to see isn't it because the the bright rays of the of the sun kind of makes it difficult now for you to see clearly because you still have that image of the bright rays in your eyes and it's kind of hard to see clearly what's in your what was previously a dark room and so your your eyes are adjusting to the light can anybody relate with this experience yeah so the gospel of john grabs this imagery of light and it becomes one of the central themes in the book of John. As a matter of fact, this, this imagery of light becomes that which becomes synonymous with the revelation of the character of God, which is love. John will write that later on in his first epistle there, right before you get to the book of Revelation. And he takes this now and he begins to demonstrate this now for us in the life of Jesus. And he does this beautifully in two very similar stories happening right around the temple area. Jesus is going about teaching and healing and doing what he does in his kingdom ministry. And as he does this, there is a woman, you remember it, John chapter 8, who's caught in the act of adultery. And she is brought before him. And Jesus, revealing God's character of love, the light begins to shine and he gives her grace. How many of you need grace this morning? And when he does this, it reveals the beauty of God's grace in that moment, but also it erupts into a controversy over his true identity as the one sent from the Father. Now something interesting here, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. And he'll do this after he gives her grace. Now, what's interesting is that when he gives her grace, he prevents her from being stoned. But by the end of that chapter, Jesus is the one who's about to be stoned because of the controversy. Now, if you dive over into John chapter 9, which is where we're going to be today, Jesus is walking along and we're introduced to another character. And it just flows right in to John chapter 9. That's why it's always good to read in in the context it didn't have chapters and verses the way we had them outlined, you know, when this was originally written. It was, it was letters, right, that was sent out. So you just, just follow the, 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 the story because Jesus will repeat again in John chapter 9, I am the light of the world. 
What happens here is in this act now, right there around the temple, what happens is that Jesus, he'll say that I am the light of the world when he meets this blind man in John chapter 9, but he'll say that before healing the blind man, revealing God's character of love in the healing of the blind man. And this will then become another situation where now it's not Jesus that's going to be sent now to, to give witness to his true identity. Now it's the blind man who is going to go sent to, to give witness to the, the true identity of Jesus Messiah. And this will erupt into another controversy. And then now by the end of chapter 10, it's just flowing, right? Jesus again escapes being stoned. And so you sit here and you go, wait a minute, Jesus is revealing the beauty and the light of God's character of love. What's going on here? Why is this, why is this becoming a contentious thing? Well, I think if we dive into John chapter 9, we're going to see some things unfold for us today that will hopefully give us some, some clarity into this, right? Hopefully some light will start to shine, okay? So basically what's happening is Jesus is going for a walk. He, he basically just narrowly escapes being stoned. John chapter 8 at the end, right? He says, before Abraham was, I am. We know what that means. He's revealing himself as Yahweh, self-existent one, Old Testament, right? Moses, Exodus. And so now he's walking and his disciples are apparently now with him. He had just mysteriously, miraculously escaped death. And then he sees Watch this. Watch the language here. Then he sees a blind man who the Bible lets us know has been blind from birth. Jesus has a way of seeing people, seeing the totality of that person, seeing the heart of that person, seeing the need of the person. And when he sees this blind man, his disciples do what we often do. His disciples see the blind man and based on the culture, not necessarily fully getting clarity when it comes to the biblical picture of God, but they see the blind man, they immediately go, oh, this must be because of sin. So who sinned, Jesus? Was it because of this man's sin? He was at the club a little late. He was drinking. He was doing this. Like, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And he now is inheriting this as a punishment. Who sinned, Jesus? Now watch how Jesus responds to his disciples because he's not only going to respond to them by saying something, really he's going to respond modeling for them what he wants them ultimately to do filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to demonstrate that he's the light of the world. Jesus, he responds by basically initially saying, addressing the issue, he says, well, it's not because of this man's sin, but this is now going to be an opportunity, in essence what Jesus says, it's going to be an opportunity for God's power, for God's glory, which is the weight of his character of love, right? To be revealed. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, look, instead of talking about this right now, instead of going into a theological hair-splitting discussion, let's do something about it. Especially after the cross. If you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ, then what Jesus did in Scripture is what we're supposed to be doing. So let's not spend too much time. We may need to discuss some things, you know what I mean? But let's do something about it. Let's right now, the world, is it hurting? Let's actually be the solution. Let's, let's represent Jesus and bring healing to a broken 
world and not be a part of the brokenness. Let's do something, Jesus says. And in doing this, he is revealing that he is one sent and that he is particularly one sent to be the light of the world. Jesus will later say, you are the light of the world because you've got the light of the world in you. And so Jesus now does something that in our culture today we would find very weird and we're kind of maybe grossed out. He kind of hocks up some spit. He spits on the ground and he makes some mud and then he puts it on the guy's eyes, right? You familiar with the story? And then what he does is he sends. Are you listening? He sends him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. He sends him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and the guy washes the mud off his eyes, and now the one that was sent can see. He's sent seeing. And he, well, are you watching the word play that's happening here in the story, right? Jesus, the one sent by the Father, sends this guy to, sends this guy to the pool called sent. And watch this. Now that he's healed, now he's going to receive real sight. See, Jesus does something here in the gospel, in this story, but in the gospels in general, is he'll actually do something physically, or he'll say something, right, that has deep, huge spiritual implications. And this becomes a window into which you see the blazing light of God's character of love, but the only way you can access it, the only way that you can actually really see it is by putting your faith in Jesus. And so here's what happens. The guy, he's been healed. And now he's a living witness to the one who's healed him. So he's a walking billboard for Jesus. And so his neighbors see him. And when his neighbors see this one who now was sent seeing, his neighbors are not seeing clearly. Oh, pick up what's happening in this story. The neighbors now are like us who go to the blinds. The light is penetrating through the window. And their eyes now have to adjust to the light. Because when they see him, they're like, well, is that, is that, is that your boy? Is that him? I don't know. He's from, I know he's from around. That's not him. No, that's not him. That's not him. Because they're used to seeing him blind. Am I right? Now he can see that they're not used to this. And so they, 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 they question him. Is it you? Is it you? And he's like, yeah, it's me. And they're like, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Like, like, what happened? And he tells them, well, I mean, there's this guy, Jesus, and he did this weird thing with my eyes, and then he sent me, and here I am. Now I can see. And so they go, oh, wow, this is amazing. Wait a minute. What, what day is it today? Did we not just get out of synagogue? Oh, no, about this Jesus guy. Let's take him over to the Pharisees. They take him to the Pharisees, and the same thing. Pharisees ask him a question. What happened? What did he do to you? And he goes, well, same thing. This guy, Jesus, he, he did this thing, and it put it on my eyes. I go to the pool. Now I can see. And they're not too happy about that. 
They're not, they're not feeling the, the joy that's exuding from him right now. They're not receiving the Sabbath blessing that he just received. Like, he's ready to rejoice. He's about to start church all by himself, worship service. He's ready to go. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we need to have a theological discussion about this. Controversy. Controversy. Flowing out of the light that's shining through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is it? Well, I mean, this is, if you open your eyes wide enough, you'll see that this is playing out right before our eyes right now in our present world. And so what's so controversial about the light of God's character of love? Why is that controversial? Come with me to John chapter 9. We're going to go to verse number 16. Follow along with me as we read. Now I'm going to go to verse 18. John chapter 9, verse 16 to 18. The Bible says, So the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God. I want you to underscore that in your mind. This guy, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner, watch this, how can a ordinary sinner, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way, how can a ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion? opinion about this man who healed you. Just think about that for a second. Just, <laughs> I just been healed, brother. I got, since birth. Y'all understand what that means. He's never seen a day in his life. And now what, what is he taking in at this moment? And they go, well, tell me, what's your opinion about this guy? Let's have, let's have a debate. No? The guy, he, he responds. He says, well, the man replied, well, I, I think he must be a prophet. He must be a prophet. The light is shining. As you, as you pull back from the blinds, your eyes are adjusting to the light. But if you give it some time, you start to see more clearly and more clearly. But something else is happening with the Pharisees. Look at verse 18. The Jewish leaders still, watch this, the Jewish leaders, watch this, still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents. What? What? Like, what's going on here? The brother has been healed. And now you want to call in his parents. Okay, so let's, let's just unpack a couple things here. One is that it's not that the light was not shining. The light's shining. They just don't want to receive it. They don't want to see it. They pretend it's not actually real. It's not happening. The man is there. Clearly, there's witnesses. They call in his parents. And they're, by the way, they're calling in his parents not so that they could examine evidence and, and learn and confirm or whatever. They're, 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 not, they're trying to find something to say, no, 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 no. This guy really was not blind from birth. His parents would know. 
They had a preconceived notion. They had an ideology. They had something that they had already biased in their mind, and they said, no, we want to get something that confirms what we already think. Let's get his parents. You see, the first thing we're discovering, guys, is that the reason that the light is so controversial is because some refuse to see the light that's shining. That's just the reality. Again, it's not that the light isn't shining. John will say in John chapter 1, as he's introducing the story of Jesus, he says that the light, speaking of Jesus, shines on every human heart. But watch this. Not every human heart receives the light. Matter of fact, John will go on to say some prefer what? Darkness rather than light. Some refuse to see the light that's shining. You know, it reminds me of the film, The Case for Christ. Anybody seen this? The story of Lee Strobel? Case for Christ. They did a film on this. It was a documentary some years ago, and then they also uh, more recently came out with a film about it. It was pretty good. And Lee Strobel is an atheist back in the day, journalist, and he is doing, um, he's, he's exploring the evidence surrounding the claims historically of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it credible or is it not? And in the course of studying the evidence, just that's what he does as a journalist. He looks at the, the hard facts and he reaches a conclusion. Well, as he continued to look at the evidence on top of it and interview this person, interview that person, and look at all the different arguments, he is, the light starts to shine very, very brightly and he just can't deny what's right there in front of him. And he says, I trust in Jesus as, as Lord, as, as Savior, as Messiah. I believe in Jesus. But while he's on this journey of discovery, because he's doing this, by the way, because his wife becomes a follower of Jesus, and he wants to, the reason he starts this journey is because he wants to discredit her faith. She's changing. She's not the wife that I once had. And I want my old wife back. But while he's on this journey, he also is dealing with another case. It's kind of two parallel stories happening at the same time. But they're related, because watch this. There is a guy, a young black man, who basically gets arrested for apparently murdering a police officer. They get into an altercation, and in the altercation, the police officer dies. And so there is apparent evidence that he actually was the one that shot the police officer in their shuffle, okay? And so when, when this journalist comes out to, in, to investigate and to figure out what happened, because he wants to put a story out in the newspaper, he comes now, Lee Strobel, and he interviews the guy, and, and he, he, he's looking at the evidence. The guy is basically telling him, no, I did not shoot this police officer. Here's what happened. And he says, well, what about, what about this? What about that? And he says, well, no, that's not how it went down. Why don't you check this out and check that out? And he's, no, and so he basically had his own preconceived notion of what was happening. And he drew his own conclusion, interviewed another guy who is, I guess, associated with some gang that they thought that this young black man was a part of. And therefore, they, he, he concludes that this guy is an informant. He's an informant with the police. There's a, maybe a bad cop, there's something going on here. 
And so he goes and he says, oh, that's what it is. He gets this information from this guy that he interviews and he goes now, puts this big story out. It becomes the front page story. The gang hears about this. They say, oh, this guy was an informant, really? And they go and they beat that guy, the young man. They beat him a thread from his life. So he's in the hospital now, beat, just bruised and beating. I mean, he can barely open his eyes. When Lee Strobel finds key evidence that totally flips the whole story on its head and he realizes this guy was actually telling me the truth he's not supposed to even be in jail i have to go to that hospital i have to apologize to him and he does he goes there in tears he says i'm so sorry this has happened to you it's my fault why didn't i believe what you were telling me the young man looks at Lee and he says to him because you didn't want to believe what I was telling you. The light was shining but he refused to see the light that was shining. Shortly thereafter this young man is released he eventually heals, praise God and Lee Strobel becomes a follower of Jesus. Amen. But, 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 but see, it's not that the light wasn't shining. It's not like this guy uh, was not healed. As a matter of fact, when they bring in the parents, back in John 9, when they bring in the parents, they, they, they kind of interview the parents, and the parents basically say, yeah, that's our son, and yes, he was born blind, okay, confirmed, right? Um, but how he uh, got healed, you know, we're not quite sure. Who did it? You know, he's old enough, ask him. They basically put, put their son under the bus. They said, well, just ask him. And so at this point now, the Pharisees are forced to acknowledge the reality that a notable, actual, miracle, verifiably has happened. Light shining. But they still refuse to believe. And so they start to ask him questions again. Well, how did this happen? What? Give God the glory, they say. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. What? So what they're doing automatically in that response is they're disassociating Jesus from his oneness with his father, and they're reducing Jesus to a sinner. Well, because their perversion of their understanding of Sabbath and how that's to be experienced has so blinded their minds that they are now doubling down in their opinions based on human tradition. And what's interesting here, as you go into this story and watch it unfold, there is a development, there's a progression of increased sight in the blind man and deeper and deeper darkness and blindness on the part of the Pharisees. You begin to see who really is seeing and who is becoming more blind. I want you to look at this. The blind man. As we're introduced to him, I, mean, I, I like this guy. If you really take some time, I don't have time to get into it now, read the story when you get some time there. There's some humor going on in this story. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. But, but watch, watch the trajectory of this blind man's story. We find him in verse 1, and uh, he's blind from birth, right? That's his story. He's blind from birth. Go back. He's blind from birth. And then, then, in verse, then in verse 11, when questioned about Jesus, he says, the, the what? The, the man, Jesus, 
gave me sight. The neighbors want to know, how'd you get this sight? How can you see now? The man, Jesus, gave me sight. Goes to the Pharisees. Same question. Oh, the man, Jesus, gives me sight. Verse 17. Okay. Well, then, then what, what's your opinion? Remember we talked about that? What's your opinion about this man now? What, what's your particular persuasion? What's your view about this guy? He's a controversial figure. Well, I, I, he must clearly, he must be a prophet. Oh, how could you? No, he's a sinner, right? The response, okay? But watch this. The more blind they get, watch what happens to him. He eventually said, well, I mean, well, do you guys want to be one of his followers? What is he saying? I am also now one of his followers. He's worthy of me following him. He's now my rabbi, is what he's saying. But watch his progression now. Then he says, no, he's from God. That's the only way he can do this. He's from God. He, his sight, and we're going to go and see one more where it ultimately goes in a second. But watch this. He can see, not just physically, but he can actually see spiritually now. He can see reality as it really is revealed in Christ. Okay, but now watch, watch now in contrast the Pharisees who say they can see. Verse 15, we're introduced to them and they are basically asking a question. Nothing wrong with that. They say, how is it that you can see? Okay, and then verse 16, they begin to debate over Jesus healing on the Sabbath. What? No celebration, no hope. God, Jehovah has now done a miracle. He's visited us. He's visited us, right? No, they start to debate. Let's get into a theological hair-splitting debate over what's appropriate on Sabbath or not. Then they begin to now descend further into blindness, and they call Jesus a not just merely a man, but they call him a sinner. But then it goes even further. They say, well, well we don't even know where Jesus comes from. Now, come on, guys. As a matter of fact, the slur that was used against Jesus, well, that, that's Jesus from Nazareth. Oh, that's the Galilean. Wasn't there some stuff about his birth? Hey, we were not born in this same gospel. We were not born of, uh, you know, we, we heard about what happened with, with your mama, Jesus, back in the day. We know you, Jesus. We remember when those magi came. Hmm. Curious. All right. And now watch verse 34. They distance themselves from being sinners. They say, hey, you were completely born in sin. So wait, Pharisees, you weren't born in sin and shaped in iniquity? Self-righteousness just oozing out. No, you were completely born in sins. They distanced themselves from being sinners, and they infer that because the man was born blind from birth, that he was also a total sinner from his birth. They believed that, that basically, this is kind of their theology at the time, they believed that in the womb, children could be committing sins in the womb. I'm not quite sure what, how that, anyway. So, so they basically said, since you were born blind, then you must have just been a really just wicked sinner in that womb. Are you, see, are you seeing where, where they're descending? Okay, now, watch this. And then, of course, they conclude, they expel him from the synagogue. Now, in our, in our current, uh, you know, cultural experience today, we don't really see the implications of that. Oh, that church, well, you go find another church. You know, I mean, we're not, we're, not, we're not feeling the weight of that. In that culture, that was social suicide. Oh, that's, that's the guy that was excommunicated from the synagogue. Oh, we don't, don't, don't talk to him. 
and high shame and honor culture. Listen, they get blind, they get more blind and more blind and more blind. We're about to see where that concludes in a second. Family, here's what I want you to understand is that, that when your heart is not open to seeing the light that's shining, because you may be trying to hold on to preconceived notions and ideas, you might have certain ideologies. You might actually have certain persuasions, prejudices, biases, and in some way, shape, or form, we all have them. But when the light is shining, when the evidence of what God is doing, when, when, when it's right there in front of you, and you don't even want to consider it, you don't want to be like the Bereans and actually see if what Paul and, and, and his associates were saying was so, then you actually run the risk of plunging further and further into darkness. Blindness of your own choosing. But watch what happens here. The story kind of takes an interesting turn because he does get kicked out of the synagogue. But watch what happens now, beginning in verse number 35. The Bible says when Jesus, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man, your translation may say Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of God? Verse 36, the man answered, Who is he, sir? Watch this. I want to believe in him. Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said. And he is speaking to you now. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world, watch this, to render judgment and to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying that, that we're blind? You ever been in a conversation where you're talking to somebody, you didn't say their name, but out of conviction, the person just starts to speak up. Well, you, you talking about me, Phil? You referring to me? You didn't say CJ at any point. You were just talking, making a statement. But the person now, because they're feeling convicted by the weight of what you said, is they're not, wait, what, Seth, are you talking about me? Is he, well, you referring to me? Right? And, and, and Jesus now gives a response to this that we're going to look at in a second, but what's happening here? Well, here's what's happening. The second thing that we see, why is it that the light is so controversial? Well, those willing to see expose the blind. Those willing to see the light that's shining expose those that are hardening their hearts and are unwilling to even consider that there's some light shining somewhere. It reminds me of a, uh, a game that I was playing when I was playing. A bunch of us uh, pastors here in the Northern Virginia area, we, um, we get together from Potomac Conference. We get together once a month, and there was this time where we planned this kind of family gathering where we we're going to get our families together. And so it was a Saturday evening, and this is before COVID. And so we're all there with our families, and we're playing this game. And somebody has the idea. I'm not going to call them out. But, some, but somebody has the idea, let's play this game. Now, some of you may know the name of the game. I'm not remembering the names. As I describe it, hopefully you get the idea. 
They said, let's play this game. Okay, well, the, w- the way the game goes is they lay out several books on the ground. And the way that uh, the person kind of, that's kind of facilitating this whole thing, um, the way they do certain signals or direct, is it this book? Is it this book? They ask you questions. And, and the idea there is everybody else that's there is supposed to be able to see what that person is implying. It's not obvious. It's very cold. It is very, it's very covert. And the person that sees it is the one that now steps forward and now begins to try to decode. And either they decoded it right, and ding, 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 you know, you win, or they decoded it wrong and shame, well, go hide your head and kind of sort it out. So I'm sitting there watching this game, and it's looking kind of interesting. I'm watching people, I'm like, how are they getting, how in the world are they figuring that out? What is he doing? Like, yeah, you know, is it, is it this one? But he's pointing somewhere else. It's just, it's just weird stuff that he would do. And you're like, how are people figuring this out? And you're sitting there kind of feeling like, wait, how is that person seeing what I'm not seeing? Are you getting it? How is it that they're able to see something that I can't see? You start to feel away. Have you ever been there? Other people get the answer in class and you don't, students? How are they able to decipher that? How are they able to figure it out? Are they smarter than I am? What if you're the person with the doctorate? Anybody in here? And somebody else is starting to explain something that you kind of were having some difficulty trying to figure out? And you feel kind of embarrassed? Or maybe you're like me. My wife is actually really handy. I'm putting myself out there today, okay? She's real handy. I'm talking about cars, stuff in the house. And when we first got married, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over it now. You know, we've got about, what, 14 years <laughs> in this thing, okay? And we're in a pandemic. So I've matured a little bit. But, but early on, man, the first year, my wife would see something wrong in the house, and she's like, Psh, we'll handle that. And she would fix it. And me, I didn't see it right away. You know, I was, I was working and other things, and she was getting ready to work, you know, uh, she was doing school and part-time. She was around more. And she just would just observe it and fix it. And me, I'm just like, so uh, you weren't going to bring my attention to that? You weren't going to talk to me about that? I mean, I could have handled that if you wanted me to, and knowing good and well that I would have had to go look that thing up on YouTube, you know, get a manual or something like that. My pride, my male ego was kind of stepping in and the macho-ness, whatever, was stepping in in the moment. But the reality is you feel kind of a way when somebody else is seeing something and, and, and you kind of go, how is it that that person can see? You're supposed to be a spiritual leader, a PhD. You're supposed to be a GC official. Are you hearing me? The Pharisees were supposed to be the ones that see. How is it that this blind man, and by the way, blind people were also poor because how did they make their money? They had to beg. And so this is the outcast of society, classed among the tax collectors in Scripture, classed among the the, the prostitutes in Scripture. These are the kind of the the, the low-class scum of the earth is how they viewed them. Matter of fact, don't get too close to those kind of people, lest they somehow soil me somehow spiritually. How is it that he can see? There's no way I'm receiving something that's coming from him. I don't care what kind of miracle happened. I'm supposed to be the one who sees. That's what's going on here. And not only does he see, watch this now as we conclude, watch this. Here's how the story ends. You talk about a sight in blindness. He ends 
the, 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 the blind man ends worshiping Jesus, the Lord of glory. This is before he goes to the cross. He acknowledges him as the son of man, the son of God. But the Pharisees, verse 39, Jesus, as he says, look, I've come to bring judgment into the world. By the way, judgment and salvation have two si- are two sides of the same coin. When God sent Moses to Egypt, he went to save and deliver his children. But what did that mean for those hardening their hearts? Pharaoh, right? Not wanting to see the light. What did that mean for them that were oppressing those people? Judgment. I've come to bring judgment. And he basically renders judgment in that moment. And the Pharisees are rendered judged spiritually blind. Those who claim that they can see. Are we in danger of that? Is that a challenge for some of us? Now, you may be hearing me speak right now, and you're going, oh, yeah, I mean, CJ is talking about some kind of deep spirit, uh, uh, philosophical, spiritual thing. I'm supposed to understand and receive the light of God's word. Oh, I know the word. I'm open to evidence coming from Scripture, but what about Jesus, like, operating in something outside of your Bible study? What about when that person who's younger than you, one of your kids, one of your students, a coworker? Maybe the Holy Spirit in your life is bringing situations and people into your life to help you to see. And you don't want to see. And what if God's working behind that? What if God wants you to consider the light that he's trying to... God is not restricted to this building or your Bible study. He's out there in the world. He's moving and he's using things. He's trying to speak to us. I believe he's trying to speak very loudly right now to his church. There's an opportunity, as we talked about earlier, to be light. What are we doing with that? Are we listening? You see, you want to have a heart like this guy. When Jesus sees him, he says, I want to believe. He's like the Bereans. Well, what is it? Give me the evidence. Who is this son of man? Who is this son of God? Jesus says, well, he's he's right here talking to you. It's me, brother. I gave you your sight. Do you want to see today? How many of you guys want to see? Here's what I want you to do. If you really want to see, I want you to go to the hill called Calvary. That's where I want you to go. I want you to spend some time quiet with Jesus. Go to the Gospels. Go to some of those last few chapters in the Gospels, and I want you to spend time with Jesus at the cross. Because it's at the cross that you see the most vivid, the most radiant, the brightest light of the revelation of the character of God, of his love. It doesn't get more clear than that. And when you go there and you see that's what God is like, when you see the light penetrating from the cross, whatever darkness may be lingering in your heart and in your mind starts to vanish. And even as you're, even as you're, as you're looking at the blazing light coming from the cross, that is what God is like. That's what he did for me. I don't deserve it. It may even take you some time for your eyes to adjust to the light. But I promise you, like this man, you start to see more clearly more clearly. Things get clearer. Things get brighter. And you find yourself like this man at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, 
Because now you can see. You once were blind, but now you can see. And that's what matters. As we sing this song right now to close, I want to invite some of you that are watching right now. Thank you for joining us. And those of you that are here right now, I want to just give you a moment. As we sing this song, you may be wanting to respond to this message, this controversial light. It really shouldn't be controversial, quite frankly. The light of God's love brought grace and healing and mercy, all the things that we desperately are in need of right now. I want to invite you, if you want to respond to that light that is so brilliantly blazing from the cross of Calvary. Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.